welcome to the God Coffee and Resilience Podcast, where you can get your weekly dose of confidence, motivation, and inspiration in the midst of adversity. In every segment, we will discuss faith, life's obstacles that try to get in our way, and how we can maintain our resilience with God and a whole lot of coffee. I am Reese, your host. Grab a mug of your choice and come on in. Welcome back to God Coffee and Resilience Podcast with Reese. And today we have a very, very, very special guest. Today we have Miss Trisha Ruse with us. Hi, Trish. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, girl. Hey. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Thank you for coming on and willing to share your story of resilience with us. Um, I'm super excited. But before we get into that, I always do a little icebreaker. And so, it's, it's a two-part. I always ask, what's your favorite caffeine beverage? Because it's God coffee. And everybody knows I love coffee. But everybody don't like coffee. But what is your favorite caffeinated beverage? <laughs> I love an iced mocha. I can have it in the afternoon or in the morning. Uh-huh. I'm a Texas girl. So it's always hot here anyway. And so if you can have iced coffee, you can stay cool and you can get caffeinated. Yes. Wait, you're in Texas. I'm in Texas. I know. Yeah, I'm in Dallas. So that's where I live. Huh? I'm in Plano. Well, right now I'm in Plano. So I'm like right down the street from you. This has never happened before. Like I've interviewed New York, um, Arizona, Texas. Well, I'll come up. I'll come over after this, and we can actually have that ice mocha. Okay, I'm here for it. You hear this, guys? Look at the Lord. I have a friend now. I just I've only been in Texas for four months, and so I haven't really met anybody out here. So now I'm happy to have a friend. <laughs> I will so happily sad, be your friend. Yay! I have friends. Okay, guys. <laughs> Let me get back on track. So the next part of the icebreaker would be, what are three things that people would not guess about you or may not know about you? Well, it depends on how well you know me, but um, I think that people that even know me pretty well don't know that I actually can play the piano. And um, I played six sports in high school, so I can, I feel anyway that I can pretty much uh-huh. like pick up a ball and play a sport or coach a sport and, you know, I'm good. And then also I grew up in a really little small town. And so uh-huh. even though I'm a Dallas girl and I've lived in Dallas now for over 20 years, um, I definitely um, kind of grew up in a slower way of life out in the country. So a lot of people don't know that about me either. No, you got one more. <laughs> Oh, no, that was, okay, so it was the piano, the sports, and the small town. Those were my three. Oh, sports went right over my head. Okay, I, I yanked that with the first one. Okay, I'm not cheating. Gotcha. <laughs> well, and that kind of goes, that kind of goes with the small town, because in small towns, you have to play every sport they ask you to, or they probably don't have enough to make a team. And so um, a lot of people from large towns, like if you play a sport, you only get to pick one. And I got to pick a lot. So that was kind of fun for me to grow up playing a lot of different sports and, and live that small town life for a little bit. 
What was your favorite one out of all the sports you've played? Which one had to be your favorite? I have always, always been a big fan of volleyball. And that's actually where my career took me was coaching volleyball. I did coach basketball Uh for a little bit um, until I became a head volleyball coach. But there's just something about the sport that I was really drawn to. And so I not only love playing it, but I love coaching it as well. Awesome. Okay. See, I've always thought like when you're playing volleyball, you're like your hands would just get sore, like from that one part of just like hitting, bumping, bumping. Um, But I don't know. Like, have you ever been bruised or beat up from from serving and hitting? I mean, I play and I coach so much that that doesn't happen anymore. But I definitely remember that when I was a kid starting out, that it kind of hurts after a while, and then you have to just get used to it. Gotcha. As with anything else, I I would imagine, as with anything else. I was never a sports person. I think I did dance in high school. I've done step team in high school, Spanish club. (laughs) But I was never a sports type of person, but I like to dance, and I like to step. So that was something I did. I tried out for cheerleading, didn't work out. So that's where I ended up. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yes. Well, all right, love. Well, we know that you are currently in McKinney, but you live in Dallas. Um, But what was it like growing up in the small town? Like, how were, are you the only child and how was your parents and all the things? So I actually have a younger sister. She's about three years younger than me. And the reason we ended up out in the country was because my parents got divorced. And so my mom moved to a small town and my dad still lived in the city. And so we were able to go back and forth and have kind of both lives growing up. Um, But, you know, it took us a little while to embrace it. But I think it was a good experience overall because you just have a really close group of friends, um, mostly because you don't have a lot of options for friends. Um, But everybody was really close knit. And like I said, got to play a lot of sports and be involved in a lot of activities. So when I got older in college, I started um, as a part-time job coaching. And when they asked what I could coach, I said, well, I've played everything. So just tell me what you need. And so I have coached volleyball. I've coached basketball. I've coached tennis. And then right now I'm coaching my five-year-old daughter's soccer team and I have coached a little bit of little league baseball. And so I think that um, it gave me a little bit of flexibility with what sports I knew about. And then I've always just had the coaching gene. I always love teaching and helping others learn how to play sports. Um, So it all kind of worked out. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Your catalog is extensive. Um, Guys, did I fail to mention like she's a mama? Um, She's an author and a speaker. So um, all the things, (laughs) all the things. So yes, yes, I love it. Um, I would definitely ask next, like when you guys were growing up, uh, what was the, I know it was a little town, but what did you enjoy the most out of um, living in a little town, like family time? Or what was a memory that you remember when you were younger? <laughs> that was so uh, fun. You know, I think that a lot of people in a small town, and we were in a lake town, have boats mm-hmm. or 
you know, forerunners because they have a ton of land. And so it's just a little bit slower of a pace. You know, now living okay. in Dallas, you are pretty much stacked on top of each other with homes. And so yes. you don't have the ability to just go out and play or get lost in the woods. Um, I don't think we would let any of our children these days in a city get lost in the woods. But, um, right. you know, life was just a little slower and you could see the stars in the sky better than you can in the city. Um, so it ended up being a good experience. Okay. Well, when did you meet um, your husband? When did you guys meet? Because I mentioned, like you mentioned, when you went to college, you came further to the city, into Dallas. Um, did you meet him in college mm -hmm. or after college? Yeah. So um, we actually had a mutual friend that introduced us and we actually met on the same volleyball court playing volleyball. And um, we were, he was a sophomore, I was a junior and we started dating and ended up engaged um, right at the end of college. And we were at Baylor University in Waco and we loved our college experience, but we didn't think that we wanted to stay in Waco to have a family and raise kids and jobs. And so we ended up, when we got married, we moved to Dallas, and that's where we've been ever since. Yay! Okay. So what year did you guys get married? So that was in 2005, and then I really immediately started my job that I had gotten um, right away um, at Bishop Lynch High School. And so uh -huh. I had served there really the last 16 years until I left just a few months ago. And um, I was the director of admissions, and so I helped uh -huh. students and parents find their and navigate the admissions process because it is a private school, so you have to apply to get in. And then uh -huh. I also was the head volleyball coach, and so I got that opportunity to work with thousands and thousands of young kids and their parents to help navigate the high school process as well as really getting to know girls, especially at a more intimate right. level by being their coach. Yes, definitely. And I'm sure that they needed you and your wisdom, guidance and mentorship. Um, that's a very delicate moment in high school because everybody's trying to figure out who am I? Um, I'm about to embark on young adult life and adulting is ghetto. Can I just say that, guys? Like <laughs> it is. I want to go back. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I would love to take maybe like not stay forever because I do enjoy the freedom, but just have somebody else worry about the bills and work and all this stuff and just let me be free and live life just for a couple of days, yep. you know? Yeah, we didn't know how good <laughs> we had it until we became adults and realized we have to be responsible all the time, especially yes. with little kids. I mean, we can't even leave town because they always have activities and they always have things going on. So, Right. Speaking of kiddos, when did your first kiddo come about? So we had Cameron, so he's our oldest, he's 10 and a half. He was born in 2011. And then yes. we had Annabelle, so that's really what my book is about, is our journey with her. And um, when we found out we were pregnant with her, that was in 2014. And uh -huh. our sweet little son had been begging for, he said, he called it a lady baby. So he wanted a baby sister because all of a sudden, a lot of his little friends at daycare started getting little siblings and he thought that was really cool and so he wanted one and started asking us for one and we just didn't know how to answer those questions so we just said pray about it and maybe you'll get a lady baby 
And so we had Annabelle in 2014 on December 29th. And then, um, and like I said, that's what my book is about, about her life and legacy. And um, she passed away at six days old. And then we ended up um, being pregnant again about seven months later with our little rainbow baby. And so that's Andy. And she Mm -hmm. is something else. Curly, curly, ringlet, blonde hair and just on fire all the time. And so she's now five years old. And Cameron, like I said, is 10. And despite their age gap, they're just the best little buddies. And Cameron really takes care of her and looks after her. And she really respects and looks up to him. So they still fight like every other group does or siblings do. But um, they really love each other. And I think the fact that my son Cameron did experience the loss of his other sister, he has a really strong protection vibe over the youngest Andy and really cares about her and loves her a lot. Yes. What was backing up a little bit um, in 2014? um, What was the issue? Like, did the doctors ever say, um, why did, why did Annabelle pass away? Yeah. So what ended up happening was when we decided we would try to get pregnant, everything was going really well with the pregnancy. And then right around 12 weeks along, um, back then it was a little bit newer that you could do blood tests to find out the gender mm-hmm. of your child. And so right. I remember at a doctor's appointment, kind of at the very end, she just mentioned this to us and asked us if we wanted to do the blood test. And I said, yes, I mean, that seems really easy to get to know gender earlier. And so after we did the blood test, I didn't think a lot of it, but then she gave me a call about 10 days later and told us that not only was the baby a girl, but that she had trisomy 18. So the blood test also revealed a panel of other things. And trisomy 18 is much like Down syndrome. So Mm -hmm. Down syndrome is actually called trisomy 21. 21. And Mm -hmm. with trisomy 18, there's typically more uh, heart defects. So Annabelle actually, they found out had a two-chamber heart. So she was not um, made with four chambers in her heart. And there's just a lot of, um, you know, issues where a lot of those babies do not make it full term. So they told me that there was only a 10% chance that we would get to meet her alive um, at, at birth. And um, the specialist that I was referred to actually recommended an abortion. Um, so it was just a really whirlwind of news and information all flooded to us within a 24-hour period that not only was our baby not healthy, but they were recommending an abortion. And for my husband and I, um, we just had to process that information mm-hmm. and pray about it. And my concern, his concern was, well, if you're recommending an abortion, does that mean that something could happen to me? Like, am I at danger of dying or yes. something happening with the pregnancy? And when we learned that that was not the case um, and we started to learn more about it, we knew that we would not choose an abortion for her. And so we um, told that doctor and shortly after sent an email to all of our friends and family and to my volleyball team because volleyball season was about to start up that um, this was the condition of our child. And no matter what, we would let God's will be done and pursue the pregnancy. And the thing that really hit me in this moment was, that as a coach for many years, I'd always told my kids to try their best 
no matter the outcome. And so whether that meant you lost or you won a game, you just go out there and you fight your hardest. And you can walk away knowing that you did the very best you could. And, you know, for me in that situation, I just knew that it was my job to fight and do everything I could. So try to keep my blood pressure down and get enough sleep and attend my doctor's visits and ask all the questions that I could in order to prepare for her to be alive or not alive so that if she was born alive, I could give her the best life that I could with possibly the short time that I had with her. And so when she was born alive in December, it kind of defied all odds. That was not supposed to happen. And even the fact that she was born alive with a two-chamber heart, yet somehow she was breathing and functioning, the doctors and nurses were just completely surprised by the miracle of her life. And it was awesome to just watch all of these doctors and nurses be totally overcome with emotion by this little life that was going on when it wasn't supposed to. And so she lived six days, which I know isn't a lot of time on earth, but I feel that her impact in those six days and what she proved, you know, to the medical community and to the rest of us is just as valuable as our lives and what we're doing in this world, even though it was short lived. So it was a really, um, I hate to say a positive experience because she still died and it was extremely painful. But I know that we did the very best that we could. And I was so blessed to meet her and introduce her to our family and everybody got to hold her. And we will always have that memory with us forever. And despite her condition and her short life, we were extremely happy that we chose to give her life instead of an abortion. Yes, I think that's so powerful. Like I just have goosebumps and fighting tears over here. Um, Edwards syndrome. Yeah, like uh, just like uh, Downs and all the other things, um, people usually prepare for the worst. And for you, you were just like, well, if nothing is going to happen to me and if I'm not in any type of danger and I'm still healthy, we're going to proceed on despite what you say, because we... As, as people of faith, we pray about everything, but we also believe in what God can do. And so mm-hmm. saying, like hearing what you said, like, okay, they expected her to be born like stillbirth or something of that nature or die or only live for a couple of hours. She lived for six days. And so even though she was only here for six days, she was like, ha, take that. Yeah. You know, and I saw I went on your Instagram and I saw the picture you put up and like I was already like doing my research and things before we got on today. And I was just touched Um, even before I did that, just the emails that we were going back and forth with. um, Mm -hmm. You mentioned your book um, and it's and it's called Guys, When When Wishes Change. Um, Tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah, so I felt that God was calling me um, probably around 2019 at Thanksgiving to write a book about our experience with Annabelle. And I am not classically trained as a writer. I have a degree in marketing and a minor in public relations. But um, when I felt that calling, I just knew that was something I was supposed to do. And, you know, 
there's a lot of parts of the book where I am very vulnerable and I just kind of reveal how God spoke to me during that time. And so um, one thing I talk about is when I felt that calling coming to me, I didn't really verbalize it. It just came to my mind and I started thinking about it. But very shortly after, maybe a day or two after, I got a Facebook ad and the title of the ad was, have you ever wanted to write a novel? Um, take this class. I thought, well, that's funny. You know, I just kind of got this um, direction to write a book, and now it's telling me to take a course, which makes a lot of sense. Hadn't really thought of that. And so when I clicked on the ad, I knew I recognized the face that I was looking at of the teacher of the class. And it turns out the, um, the class instructor was one of my best friend's sisters, who I had no idea was um, I knew she had, was writing novels, but I didn't know she was yes. teaching classes about writing novels. And so I immediately uh-huh. enrolled in the class and over Thanksgiving and Christmas break, you know, watched every video and did a lot of assignments to learn how to write a book. And then really I started writing in 2020. And the fact that we went through a pandemic shortly after, it just naturally gave me a little bit more time to think and write than I probably would have had with my busy life and with all the activities, you know, our kids were involved in. And then in uh, January of this year, I had finished writing. I'd given it about two months off before I wanted to start editing. And it was incredibly overwhelming. Just I was so oh, in yeah. this book and having to go back over and correct and write and rewrite. It was just, it was almost like I was too close and I knew I needed to find an editor. Well, again, never done that before. And because the book was so vulnerable and it gave away so much of who I was and what I went through emotionally, I think I just got scared. And so I remember it was on a Sunday in January. I closed my laptop and said, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to be able to finish this book. Um, I did what... I thought I was supposed to do, but I don't know. Maybe I I read this calling wrong. And so I literally told God I was done. And like three minutes later, I get an email. And of course, at this point, I'm looking for any distraction. And I read the email and it was from a coworker, a science teacher that I rarely saw, rarely spoke to, that out of the blue on this this January day on a Sunday, three minutes after I told God I've given up, she emails and says, I don't know why, but today I am thinking about you and your daughter, Annabelle, and your story and how much impact it had on me when she was born. And at this point, that had been six years ago. And so for her to email me out of the blue three minutes after telling God I was done, I'm sitting there in tears reading this email thinking, okay, God, like I get it now. You're telling me I've got to finish this book. And then again, shortly after, a really good friend connects me with an editor who happens to live two miles from my house. And we connected so fast, um, so immediately. She's a Christian. She's an amazing editor. And just she got me. And once that relationship um, took off, I knew that was who I wanted to edit my book. And she helped me get to a place where I felt great about the story and She just kind of made it sparkle. And those things are no coincidence. I mean, all of those things were things that God put in my lap and said, kind of, you know, with you and your podcast, it's like, okay, I feel this calling. I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to need some guidance. 
And I left my job at the end of April to pursue being an author and speaker. And now that I have gotten some speaking gigs and I'm, I'm kind of taking off in that route, every time I speak, I meet people who I am impacting and Annabelle's story is impacting. And every time it's a message of, yes, this is where I want you to be at this point in your life. And it's terrifying and it's scary and it's different and it's nothing that I've ever done before. But I feel that when you are called to do something that God asks you to do, if you just say yes, no matter how scary that yes is, you will find hope and guidance and direction. And I can't tell you how many times during that pregnancy, I just cried out in anger and frustration because I was so scared about the what ifs and how this was all going to play out. And I got those signs constantly um, of God just saying, it's okay, I've got you, keep going, keep pursuing this path that I've laid for you. And and now I can look back and I feel like I can say, now that it's almost been seven years, that I can turn around and I can help others and I can talk about my story and the resilience and perseverance that I had to go through to help encourage others through their journeys, whatever that may right. be. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, you made me and shed it, a tear. And it, I mean... <laughs> No, I tell people all the time, if you ask me to speak about my daughter and her, she passed away in my arms. Like that was the hardest moment of my life. But I, if I would have had to talk about that, or even when I was asked about it years ago, I couldn't keep myself together. And even two years ago, my husband and I both had a very difficult relapse. We can't really pinpoint a trigger. But he went through a really hard time of grief, and so did I, over her loss. And, you know, it was weird. We were like, why is this happening to us? It's already been four years. You know, shouldn't we be better by now? But that's not how grief works. Um, no. I think God challenges us to get through hard times. And you do see, you know, a lot at the end of the tunnel, and things will get better. But it does not mean that for the rest of your life that you can put that in a suitcase and zip it up and be done. Um, There will be times when you have to face uh, whatever it is again and face it and have hard days. And I've realized now that that's just a part of the journey. And you have to be willing to share that with others because I I think two years ago, I felt really self-conscious about telling people if I was having a bad day, it was because of a daughter that I lost years ago. Because number one, a lot of the people in my life were different. So they didn't even know me at the time. And then second, I felt like, well, they're just going to judge me and think you should be over that by now. And think, why are you still upset about something that happened years ago? And now that I've talked to so many more people that are still grieving the loss of someone even a decade ago or two decades ago, or even recently, I I have a better understanding that grief is over time and it's not anything that goes away, but you can learn to help others and share and find community to get through it. Right. I lost my grandpa in 2015 to dementia. And now my grandma has just been diagnosed with dementia three months ago. And so now she's going through the same thing he went through. So it's been six years 
since he passed, and he is still the screensaver on my phone, and I still think about him every single day. So you're right mm-hmm. about that. Grief is definitely over time, and I do have my days, and I feel like the inevitable is upon us with my grandmother. Um, and so I, I know nobody lives forever, but it, it's coming. Um, and she's she's not doing too well, but um, just keep prayers for her. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I know what that's like no. too. And you probably are, you know, you get triggered too by the fact that your grandma's going through the same thing as your grandpa. And so then oh, it may yes. even bring up the pain that you felt back then. And so I, I guess I didn't realize that before that, you know, if I see another child on, you know, one of my Facebook communities that is just like my Annabelle and, and will die and has a two chamber heart, you start to resurface some of those feelings. And, right. you know, the thing that I um, think gives me hope is that God never intended her to live more than those six days. And that whatever our, you know, expiration date is, that will be what has already been written in the book long before we were born. And um, I struggled really hard in the beginning thinking, for example, at her one-year birthday, I would see another one-year-old and say, oh, that's what she would be learning to walk and she would be smiling and laughing. And, you know, I kind of would get lost in this tunnel or this rabbit hole of the what if. But the truth is she was not supposed to live more than her six days. And so I have learned to more or less say, um, that's not what her life was meant to be. She was never meant to walk. She was never meant to talk or go to kindergarten or have kindergarten graduation or get married and have kids. She was only supposed to be here for six days and she fulfilled her purpose and, and she's back where she is with the Lord. And, and now when people die in my life, um, my first thought is that they get to meet her and they get to see her. And that yes. is a weird way of thinking, but it's just like my grandpa recently died too. And I think, oh my God, I loved him so much. And he knew what I went through. And I hope that he is holding her right now or they are meeting in heaven. And that that will be an amazing moment when I get to reunite with her as well. And so it at least, you know, I've tried to change my perception or the way I think about it to make it better. And it's not better. It's not, you know, you're never fully healed, but it does help. I think that it does help to have that eternal um, vision of what our lives are supposed to be like is once we're gone here, we we live eternally with God in heaven. So right. it helps. And I know that was that was very hard for your husband too. I mean, what how did he handle um losing Annabelle and how did you guys once you learned about um your rainbow baby, um how was the pregnancy with her? So I I we know now over time that um I mean women and men a lot of times grieve differently, but yes. I witnessed it personally. So Jonas didn't cry, rarely, ever. Um, He was the protector. And so he wanted to make sure that everything went off smoothly with the funeral and with me and that I was healing and that I was always okay. And sometimes I almost got a little hurt. Like, why aren't you crying? Why aren't you more sad? But he was just as sad. He was just as lost as I was, but he had a different way of handling it. 
I do think, though, the fact that he harbored emotions caught up with him later on, and he would admit that as well. Um, but I do think that for both of us, you know, we wanted a, another baby so desperately. And when we got pregnant again with our first child, we didn't even think of any bad things that could happen. It was an easy pregnancy and it was healthy and I didn't know there was anything different. With our third, we knew better. We knew that things could happen during pregnancy with miscarriages and, um, you know, different things that I had experienced along the way with a lot of my friends since now I was five years older and pregnant. And it was terrifying. I mean, the whole way I just, even at the appointments where they told me she was healthy and everything looked amazing, I was always waiting <laughs> For the hammer to drop and to be told, oh, we were wrong. Something's wrong with your baby. Um, but it really took a lot of faith. It really took a lot of um, just belief that God had our back no matter what the outcome was, no matter, you know, what with Annabelle or with Andy. And I just remember the moment that um, I had her, I had a C-section. And when they pulled her out, I was like, I heard that cry. And I was like, okay, I think I can start believing that she's healthy and that she's here and that we're going to keep her because I think the whole pregnancy, I almost didn't believe it. And with both of those back-to-back pregnancies with both girls, um, I was going through volleyball season pregnant with the incredibly busy schedule that I had. And there's a lot of emotional ups and downs in sports. I was going through my admission season, which is really um, very stressful and I had to really learn to calm down and keep my blood pressure low and, and just start letting go, letting other people handle things, um, admitting when I was tired or not feeling well that I needed to take a minute off um, and not be as stressed. And so I did get better at being a little bit less stressed or like very type A personality during those pregnancies. Um, because I'm just a person that wants to be in control and know what's going on and make sure everything yes. goes perfectly. And in these situations, you have to be able to let go and let God take over. And um, I think that was the biggest lesson I learned in all of this experience was to let God take control and to let God's will be done over my own wishes. And that's where that title came from. The idea of when wishes change is way more than expecting a healthy pregnancy and it changing, it's relevant to all of our lives. And so everyone can relate to a wish or a dream that you had as a child or maybe in college or in your 20s about how your career was supposed to go because that's what you wanted or who you were supposed to marry because that's what you thought you wanted. And then God turns that on you and something changes. And it's all about how you react to those changes. When your wishes change, will you tell God, thank you for allowing my wishes to change and um, bringing me to something new? Or will you resist that change and live, you know, in desperation and despair because it didn't go your way? And so, you know, I believe that even if you have an experience of pregnancy loss like I did, the book is incredibly relevant and I wanted to take a step back and make this about much more than my story and make it about everybody's Mm -hmm. story. 
Yes, and that is so powerful perspective and learning um, not to have like steps. Like I am a type A person as well. And so like uh, when I was going to school, for example, I was like, this is the school I'm going to. I can't choose between these two states, but it's one of these two. And um, this is what I want. And this is when I'm going to graduate. And I just had my whole life planned out and none of it happened. Between the two states, I lived in a completely different state. Um, so the Lord shows you time and time again that he's in control. Um, if any time that we can all agree on. It was definitely last year when the shutdown happened because we had no control over that. Um, and we all had um, an idea of how 2020, the magic year, 2020 perfect vision would go. <laughs> and yeah. then it didn't go the way none of us planned. And we're still fighting the pandemic now. But um, that's, that's a very powerful lesson, but a, a very wonderful skill to learn is to just learn how to accept things. And um, the more people I continue to meet through the podcast and interview, the more I see this theme of just that, learning how to shift your perspective, whether it was... Um, uh, Acosta's reference to uh, Forrest Gump, your reference to just life in general. You 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 only have the present, and we only have the now. Um, so that's the only place we can be. And so just letting go of the future, uh, forgiving, and letting go of the past, and just being present in the present. Mm -hmm. I think that that's wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, and I think, yeah, and I think that God also there is purpose and pain and it is I really wanted to seek out that purpose in my pain and say, if God puts me through this, there has to be something that will come out of it. Good. You would never create a situation where there's no purpose in pain. And so if I had to lose my daughter to maybe bring others to faith or back to their faith or to help, you know, many other people going through a really tough time um, and that's the purpose of her life, then I'm willing to accept that because then it becomes a bigger part of God's plan. And that can make sense to us. We can say that um, kind of the analogy when you're quilting, you know, you can only see these little things at a time, but when the quilt is done, you see this huge tapestry and you can yes. see a picture or a bigger plan. And, and I remember during that pregnancy, I could not see a plan. Like, why in the world would this happen to me and my baby? And why would she have to die? But God kept revealing the plan in little chunks and little bits and kept saying, keep faith. I need you um, to be there and just be strong. One of the things that happened during my pregnancy was I had this extremely vivid dream where my dog, my childhood dog, my best friend of like 14 years, came to me and was talking to me in the dream as if that was natural, uh -huh. right? And yeah. she walked <laughs> down the aisle of my church, the sanctuary, with a full house of people praising the Lord and kept telling me, you will be abundantly blessed. God has a plan for Annabelle. And there was other really pertinent things that she told me in that dream. And I woke up and I didn't even tell my husband. I was so like, like my brain was just functioning. Like what just happened? So I right. wrote down all the things I was told in this dream. And I ended up uh -huh. getting the clear to tell my husband I had this crazy dream. 
But when my daughter's funeral happened, I looked back, I saw the same crowd in the same sanctuary at the same time of day. The the service was at three o'clock so that the students from the pool I worked at could attend. The same light coming through the stained glass that I saw in that dream. And I remember um, being told in the dream that, that, that Annabelle will bring people closer to God. And after the service, uh, I remember one specific text I got from a student that said she had fallen away from her faith and just seeing the strength and hearing the praise and worship songs at the service totally changed her and brought her back to Jesus. And I Amen. thought, well, if only that one person was brought back to God yes. through her life, that alone is worth it. And I believe that Amen. there's even more people that have been affected since then. But that was really powerful in that I had this premonition in this dream way before she was born that her life would have purpose. And so I, to be honest with you, I never went through the stage of grief of being mad at God and you know, mm-hmm. turning away from my faith. I think if anything, I was closer because I really was wanting to seek out God's plan and the pain. And the more I sought that out, the more I got to see that purpose. That's right. I mean, I thought I was crazy um, when I was like, maybe there's a reason why um, I was sexually molested or maybe there's a reason why I was physically abused or maybe. And and then, you know, like in it, you're just like, it has no purpose and pain and pain and woe is me. But it took me years and some therapy to get to that point where I was like, maybe there's a purpose in this. Um, Mm -hmm. And much like you, I did, I only wrote one book um, when I was in PA school and I put, it's like a memoir. And um, I just wrote everything down from start to finish to where I was. And then I took a couple of chapters to encourage and inspire people. And I just let it go. And I never promoted it. I never marketed it. Nothing like that, because I know nothing about marketing. And it's funny because my brother took up marketing and PR and he graduated. And um, he was just, I just, I know nothing about it. (laughs) I'm more of like this type person. But when I wrote that book and I let it go, I was just like, well, Lord, you know, there, there must be a purpose for it. It was like maybe a handful of people that read it and said that they got something from it and they found it powerful. And to me, just like you said, it was, it was worth it. Yeah. It was worth it. That's what God does sometimes. Like you go through something, but it's to help others you know, with their pain and what they're going through. And you just think when you're in those moments of pain, like you feel very helpless and you feel isolated. And Mm -hmm. for me, I remember when I found out about this diagnosis, I was searching for anyone like me to talk to. I needed to find another mom who had also lost a child or had been diagnosed with the same thing and just ask questions. And so now that I'm on the other side, I want to be that person that is available for others to ask questions. And I do think there's a lot of importance in being honest and vulnerable because it wouldn't be fair for me now to be like, oh, yeah, my life is amazing. And it wasn't that bad because that's not true. I mean, it was so hard and it was a really hard time and I still have my bad days. But if you're honest with people and you're vulnerable and you, but you also give encouragement, you're laying, 
the groundwork to say when you do have a bad day, don't feel bad. I've been there too. Because you don't want to make it sound like it's all roses and butterflies and you'll get through it because you have God. Right. I mean, it, it is not always easy. And there will be pain and there will be tough days, no matter if you have strong faith. And so, um, yeah, I'm constantly seeking my purpose in this. And through writing the book and speaking, I find that now, again, since it's been seven years, I'm able to put together in words what I couldn't before. And I'm able to have a different perspective than I had before. Right. And oh, Lord, like you made me cry, <laughs> but you're still my friend. But I mean, Absolutely. you've been through so much and you're such a strong person, but it definitely pays to say, hey, I'm not OK and I need some time. And you were able to recognize that and get through it. And I love the fact that you said, hey, I'm not trying to sell the story that as long as you have faith, it'll be all right. It will be all right, but you don't feel like that in the midst of the storm. So I'm happy mm-hmm. that you referenced that because a lot of people are just like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They're just, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> you made it through and you're out here telling your truth, your family's truth. And I just admire that. I admire your perspective, but also your strength and your faith in God. And like you said, it was not easy. But where you are now compared to where you were then and how many lives you're touching and changing and and bringing and spreading the gospel, um, that's just amazing. That's just amazing. And I know that you guys that are listening, like, I can't even put into words, but I just know that you got something from this interview, whether it's relatable through pregnancy or just life period. Um, Like you said, when wishes change, I do think that people should go on Amazon because it is on Amazon, guys, and um, purchase the book and support Miss Trish. But also um, you're going to get so much out of it. And I got so much out of it just by spending almost an hour with you for my little bit of time together. Um, I'm definitely going to be purchasing the book and supporting you. Um, and definitely, hopefully we can link up in person now that I know you're so close, (laughs) but before we leave off, um, you gave a lot of great advice throughout, but what would you say, um, to someone who finds themselves in a similar predicament, if not the same, um, or if you could talk to yourself back then, um, being the person that you are now, what would you say? Well, it's kind of twofold. Um, I think that you really have to find community. And mm-hmm. for maybe an introvert, that means podcasts, um, Facebook groups. Um, for someone like me, I also needed to talk to someone and find mm-hmm. someone to talk to. And I just, you can't do it alone. I mean, that's the bottom line. You can't do it alone. And someone else out there is going through something very similar. And I mean, maybe podcasts existed seven, eight years ago when I was pregnant, but I didn't really know about them. And that has become a really big part of me and how I have grown and learned professionally and emotionally is just hearing other people's experiences. And the second thing I will say, and this is kind of the thing I wish I would have done that I didn't, is that um, I didn't seek therapy. And I'm not sure why. I think I thought I could get through it by myself with family and Mm -hmm. friends but the fact that there are professionals out there that have experience in handling your specific situation so for me there are therapists that 
specifically work with people that have lost children. Um, I did not go to a therapist until about two years ago when I kind of mm -hmm. relapsed. And the nuggets that I learned and the things that I heard from her were nothing that a, just a friend with no professional background could share. And once again, I don't know why I didn't do it earlier. Um, I jumped back into my work and my business and then we were pregnant mm -hmm. again and going through that cycle. And so maybe in my head, I thought it was just too much for me. But right. not only do you have to find community and um, people to back you and be your people, but you really need to seek out professional help. And that shouldn't have a stigma around it. It shouldn't have any kind of um, shame. It's just find somebody that can really have an educational background in what it is that you're experiencing um, to be able to help you a little bit. And you know what? I've had friends that um, maybe they had to get on some kind of medication to kind right. of regulate um, themselves if they were depressed or had anxiety. And there's a lot of things that you just have to see if that's for you and if that's okay, if that makes you feel better. Because sometimes I think it's easy to get into such a hole and you feel isolated and more isolated and more isolated. And then you look up and you're really far away from your normal and it's really hard to get back. So whether it's podcasts, Facebook communities, reading a book, and maybe it's all of the above. Um, I will say, you know, I have my social media handles that you can follow. My Instagram is at when wishes change. And so is Facebook and so is TikTok. And I didn't create those because I wanted, you know, to be famous or something. I did it because I wanted there to be um, encouragement and inspiration mm -hmm. and faith-based um, motivation. Because sometimes if we're going to be on our phones anyway, we might as well follow right. people and get nuggets throughout our day of motivation and inspiration. And, you know, I mix in family and fun, but I try to find, you know, an excerpt from Jesus Calling or I find some quotes or um, something else that's motivational because I think all of us need um, encouragement daily. It can't be like we do. go to church or read one book and you're just fixed and you feel better. I think that it I takes wish, a lot no. of outlets and ways for you to continue on a path of growth and not, you know, falling backwards. That's right. Um, thank you so much for making that statement, all of the statements, all of the things, but a very important point about the no stigma with the mental health, because I am a mental health advocate. Most of you guys know I, I am a psychiatry PA, but I do push my patients to do therapy and not depend on medication solely. Medications help with chemical imbalance and all the things. Yes, but therapy is what's really going to push the medicine. It's like peanut butter and jelly. They work great together. Um, if you don't need medicine, great. But when if you are on medication, just don't depend solely on the medication. And yeah. so um, therapy is wonderful. Um, I go to therapy and I'm on medication so I can speak to both sides. <laughs> mm -hmm. My anxiety is out the wazoo, um, especially when I graduated from PA school, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, you already shared your social media handles where people can find you. But I just want to thank you again for being on the show, for all the gems that you dropped and all the encouragement and inspiration and all the things you've 
you've given my audience and me. Every time I interview someone, I always take something away from it. So I know um, to everybody out there listening, they got something from it as well. Um, I definitely have to have you back on the show. I feel like I'm I'm like a broken record with that, but I just meet so many amazing people and I'm just like, ah, I got to have you come back because um, you're just wonderful. <laughs> and oh, well, I enjoyed having you. you on the show. Yes. Yeah, we just got to keep following what God's will is for our lives and keep plugging away and as scary as it can be I mean that's the right way you just keep following and you keep listening and you keep pursuing and God will make it right I mean that's the thing too is that it will be okay no matter what it is you're going through um you have to fight through it you're not going to have great days every day it's going to be hard but you can get through it Yes. And amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Miss Trish. This is uh, Trisha Roos that was on our show again today, guys. Please go support her um, and please follow her on all social media outlets and connect with her. You might have a similar story or some, you know, networking, all the things that come from this. But I've, I've really enjoyed her. Even if it's just to say what you got out of this episode, please connect with her. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Miss Trish, again. And I shall see you next week. Bye, guys. for tuning in to this week's episode of God, Coffee, and Resilience. You can also follow us on Instagram at God, Coffee, and Resilience Podcast. You can also follow the host, Reese, at The Resilient PA. And you can also check out our website at TheResilientPA.com. Take care, guys.